Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. All right, modern lovers. Well, we're going to talk about a subject that is affecting so many people today, and that is how do you cope with your parents, whether you are a young person, a middle-aged person, an older person, What happens as your parents are on their journey and their life is, of course, going to have a tremendous impact on yours? And there are so many people now caught in what we call the sandwich generation, formulating your own life, having your own family, establishing uh, the life you want, and at the same time needing to provide some care for parents. How do we do it? So here at Modern Love, we know that every aspect of life impacts our love lives, impacts our sex lives, impacts our well-being. So we want to look at the whole scope of life. And if you're not there yet on the journey, listen in anyway, because somebody you know is on that journey, and you probably will be one day if you're lucky, because that means your parents have lived a while Now, you can visit me at www.drbrendaway.com, or better still, if you want really, 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 really impactful information, training, and how to create your best love life at any stage, then join me for one of our once-a-month live intensive seminars here in our training center in San Francisco, and this Saturday... April 14th, if you are listening to this show or listening before the 14th, you can join us for What Mama Couldn't Tell You About Love and Sex, Seven Secrets About Love and Sex You Need to Know Now. And that is this Saturday. Our special guest will be Stephen Snyder, MD, from New York, who's written a groundbreaking new book about sex. And we're going to get into what does sex really mean? What's it about? How do you enhance your sexual intimacy at any stage of your journey, whether you're young and looking, you're going through heartbreak, you're in a committed relationship and you want to get the sizzle back, whether you're an older person thinking, hey, am I ever going to have sex again? It doesn't matter. We will have answers and really in-depth training body, emotions, mind, spirit, looking at sexuality and love. It's going to be a fun class, too. All right, so you can go to Eventbrite right now and register yourself for the class or hit me back, love at docway.com. Let's get right into our Ask Dr. Brenda question. So this one says, Dear Dr. Brenda, I recently found out that after eight years of marriage, my son and daughter-in-law are expecting a child. I'm overjoyed at the news. My first grandchild is a 1,000 miles away. I started looking at flights. So I can come out a week before her due date, so I'll be there for the big moment and stay three to four weeks to help with the baby. I was shocked. 
and my son told me they don't want me to visit until at least three weeks after the birth and stay for only one week. He said, my daughter-in-law needs time to heal. They both want to adjust to being parents before they have guests. I am not a guest. I'm the grandmother. Is there anything I can do to change their minds so I can be there? And don't you agree they're being unreasonable and cruel, outraged in Novato? Oh, outrage, put the rage away and stay in Novato until they feel ready for you to be there. And yes, you are a guest when you're in their home, whether you're the grandmother or not. Now, it's very common these days, and I want to say this, it's very different from what you may have learned when your own mother came out to stay with you and help. These days, many parents are aware that they need time to bond with their infant. It's very important for fathers to be there, have skin-to-skin contact with the baby so that the baby is bonded to the dad as well as the mom. And it doesn't matter if you're in same-gender relationships or not. Your children need to have time to bond with you. So guess what? Novato, you're going to take a deep breath, and you're going to repeat after me. The best grandparents are those who are supportive of the parents' wishes and the parents' way of raising their children. So you be a good grandparent and don't step on their boundaries. There'll be plenty of time for you to get to know your grandchild as the years go on and enjoy that time when it comes. Right now, back up, let them do what they need to do. Okay, let me tell you about our guest today. Our guest is Carol Ann Hamilton, and Carol Ann has written a book called Coping with Uncopable Parents. I'll give you her website now. It's www.carolannhamilton.com. And she says that it takes a toll on our work, social lives, even our love lives, when we are caring for parents who are moving into elderhood. And she says that it could be something like battling them over accepting caregivers or getting them to accept that maybe they need a different living situation. No matter what is going on, Carol Ann helps people to forgive and move on. She's a daughter of a formerly alcoholic father, a paranoid schizophrenic mother. She's an expert at healing toxic relationships and an in-demand media guest. And we welcome to the show, Carol Ann Hamilton. How are you? Carol Ann, can you hear me? Uh-oh. Hang on, everybody. We lost Carol Ann Hamilton. Let's see what's going on. Carol Ann, are you there? I am there, and I am so terrific by being able to be with you and your valued audience today. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. So tell us a bit about your journey with your parents. It sounds like you had an incredibly challenging set of parents. Yes, we can say that. Thank you for sharing those snippets from my bio, Dr. Brenda. And growing up years in my teenage and early 20s were no picnic indeed. So when I moved out in my mid-20s to establish my career and life of my own, got married, I thought that I was really done with 
the challenges that I encountered at the hands of my alcoholic father and paranoid schizophrenic mother, only to find that as they aged, now roll the clock forward by about 30 years, that the nightmare was returning and their aging was a reminder of what I had contended with already earlier in life. Mm. So when you left home and you went off to establish your own life, did you set boundaries with your parents? What was it that made that better for you during that period that was better? Most likely marrying somebody who was uh, older by 14 years, so he had life experience. I've listened to one of your shows where you talk about the advantages of that too, and just being able to put boundaries around the amount of visits that we would do in person on a monthly basis. That was one on average a month, not more, and weekly calls so that it, there were limits around the amount of face-to-face and or phone time really with my parents for a good couple of decades. There was a break in there before things started to slide exponentially downhill once again. Hmm. For you, because you've already talked about one of the most important tools that we need with our parents, and that's boundaries. So everyone just hang on to that thought. And Carolyn, lead us now into the journey when your parents became older and you said the nightmare returned. What happened? Indeed. And you know how people say, well, it was a dark, stormy night. Well, it wasn't that. But it was the night of Sunday, February the 7th, 2010. And I call it the call from my dad. We were speaking still weekly. And what he was saying to me after my mom kind of exited the the phone call and we carried on together, that he was not managing as well with her growing physical ailments anymore. And Dr. Brenda, it's just that I knew intuitively, oh, oh, he had been surviving with an in-home personal support worker for several years who was a godsend, nothing short of that, so that she would treat my mother's various growing ailments in the home in which I grew up since 1963 before I moved out. And it's just that I knew if my father is saying he's not managing well anymore, that was my cue phrase to know I was in for it and would probably have to pick up the gauntlet yet again to be what I felt like, the adult in that relationship. I have no siblings, so I felt like I was the adult often whilst growing up, which we can imagine, and now I Mm -hmm. knew I was Mm -hmm. in for it again. Yeah, because when you're the child of parents who are struggling with illnesses that are profound, schizophrenia is a profound illness, alcoholism a profound illness, both affect the brain, which means all the behavior, the emotions, everything is unpredictable. So you having to be that adult that sets boundaries and establishes a relationship where you're not going to be sucked under, in some ways this is analogous to what you started to approach when your dad gave you the call that he couldn't cope anymore. So what did you do? Well, 
being a responsible sort. And you know what, even though I don't have siblings, still there's always one member I have found with my experience in the family who gets nominated, whether it's a brother or sister, doesn't even have to be somebody that lives around the corner necessarily. They could be on the other side of the world. But either way, the family tacitly agrees that that's the person who's going to be responsible for the aging parents to a large degree. So mm-hmm. like that person, I also realized that this was going to catapult me on a journey, what I call from desperation. So that's where I started, definitely, because I knew it was going to get worse before it got better, and it did. And before we even got close to inspiration or hope, I canceled immediately a trip that I was very much looking forward to, and I needed a break from my work, etc. but I knew I'd better not travel anywhere. So that's probably an example of not keeping my boundaries, but I think in hindsight it turned out to be the right decision because I was able to allay some of my dad's anxiety. And remember, despite all of the trauma growing up, my bottom line intention was to see through both parents with a degree of class or dignity. And thus, there was this balancing point between standing for my own boundaries, but also doing what I thought might serve the highest and best interests of yeah, all concerned. Yeah, and that's concerned. tough. That's very, very tough when you have parents with illnesses or parents who have needs, and the needs are increasing, of course, based on what you just shared with us for your family. You're aware now, oh, my mother's needs have exceeded what my father can handle. My father's now at a point where he can't do all of this on his own. The caretaker isn't enough anymore to help care of mom's ailments. So you canceled the trip and said, okay, let me gird my loins. Let me start to figure out what I'm going to do. So what kinds of interventions did you put in place in addition to these boundaries and making some space in your life? And you also did something very crucial. Everyone I know you heard, Carol Ann, do the attitude adjustment. She said, mm-hmm. what is my intention? My intention is to see this through with as much care and as much class and dignity. Dignity is the word I'm throwing in for being classy so that you didn't turn it into, you know, some kind of poo storm. So, Caroline, what was the first thing you did to get in and start helping your parents? To build on the mindset. That's something that people miss. They like to think that it's all about do, 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 oh, let me go into action. And there's not like I didn't do some things. However, the attitude actually does come first. And I will not confess that I did any things right away except perhaps the important steps of observe and to clarify because the book to which we alluded is called Loving Action for Elder Care. And that's an acronym where the Uh, O stands for observe, where the C stands for clarify. And first I thought it important to tease out when my father was really in a flap because both parents really demonstrated a lot of stressful behaviors all the time that they were with me. And so I needed to observe 
what was really going on in the environment. So what kinds of things did you say? What kinds of things did you say when you say stressful behavior? Right. I used my powers to see, okay, here's where, you know, some of the household habits are in decline. Here's where hygiene is suffering, to be really kind of bold and graphic, and also to clarify what was or was not the arrangement with the personal support worker, how far did she support them, where did I need to pick up, and Dr. Okay, so you were observing all these basic mm-hmm. things like hygiene, whether mm-hmm. they were able to interface with their caregiver, and then once you figured out, well, here's where the gaps were, how did you go about filling those gaps, and what were the biggest gaps that you found? These gaps have to be brought up at the point, especially after my mother passed away, for between February the 7th and April the 17th, which is when she transitioned in 2010. That was just a two-month window, but it was after that. Oh, very that, short period of time. Yeah. Very short period, right? But then my dad didn't pass until August 26, 2012, so there was an immediate period in which now I had to sit down with him to figure out what was he managing and what didn't he. Thus, my visits increased exponentially. I stayed many times overnight. We talked about what support did he welcome. This was a man, Dr. Brenda, who never wanted to leave the home which he built for us in the 1960s. And, and were you able to maintain that? Yeah, was he able yes. to stay in the home? Yes. Okay. Yes, sort Good. of. He always said that he would only exit in the back of a hearse, to be quite frank. Mm. He was stubborn. Right, right. He exited in the back of an ambulance where he spent his last wow. five weeks of life in hospital. However, mm-hmm. this was a man then who would not entertain assisted living, nor having any further personal support workers after my mother's care was done. I kind of became his caretaker. So we figured out what support would he welcome increasingly, both indoors and out. He fought me initially every step of the way. Concessions were in small increments. Progress is made on an like elephant. Like what kind of steps are you talking about, Caroline? What kinds of steps were you able to make? Like, like even him agreeing that I could tidy or dust in the household to be very micro, whether I was allowed to vacuum carpets, whether he would agree to planting flowers now, together. Now, were these with, tasks that he used to do, the vacuuming yes. and the cleaning well, no, and the gardening? No, he didn't do indoor work. He always prided himself, I don't do that. I don't do housework. So, so when your mom passed, who did he think was going to do all that? I'm not sure. If I had Okay, but I in his mind, he just couldn't, with his mind, in his mind, what you're saying is he just couldn't see somebody else taking that over. No, no. And even has his only daughter, obviously, that uh, that he fought me every step of the way. But as he saw, kind of he saw, that it was going downhill, yet he had pride of ownership. So eventually a victory was carved out one table surface at a time, and I'm not even kidding you. Wow. Okay, so you can dust here but not here, dust over there but not there. Wow, Carol Ann, you have such patience, and patience is one of the things 
that's required in being with a parent who is elderly and ill, because your dad clearly was both. And it's an important thing. Now, one of the things people often struggle with is how do I beat, not beat myself up? Because I, you know, I went through this with my mother, feeling, God, if only I could do more. You know, I, I only have Thursday afternoons. You know, I go pick her up, but uh, we have to put her in care, and I go pick her up and take her to her beauty appointments and then take her out to lunch, and it still felt like an inadequate amount of support and care. How do you not beat yourself up about it? Once the needs become almost bottomless, it's true that what can fall into that trap. And, Dr. Brenda, if there was only one tip that I could offer to people, it would be Q-tip. And it stands for quit taking it personally, not a device for cleaning ears. And that means quit taking it personally. personally. That's really good. I like it. Because there's this way that we, as the adult children, get attached to our perspectives as well as our opinions because we know what should be done we know whether we're thinking we're doing enough or not however the beating up upon self will not help because you like to talk also about the health and the relationship impacts uh, in this case of this chapter of life and I would like people to know that caregivers of aging parents have a 63 percent higher death rate than their peers who don't carry these wow. responsibilities. That's astonishing. Yeah, I didn't know that it's, statistic. It's alarming. It's alarming. Carol, and if there were ever a case, wait a minute. Fifty-three percent mm-hmm. higher. Death you're saying rate. early death rate. Okay. So what you're saying is this is the correlation between the stress of taking on the additional responsibilities, and it is stressful. Now, how do you cope with that? If you are doing your best to take care of an ill family member, because this extends to ill family members as well as aging parents, how do you protect yourself and take care of yourself even when you're feeling, gee, they need me and I wish I could do more? I think we're probably back to boundaries and we're also on a very key distinction between self-care and self-sacrifice. When you mentioned Mm -hmm. that you even wondered whether you were doing enough for your mother, I know there's never enough. So how do you not sacrifice, in this case, your health, which is, you know, being more subject to long-term disease like heart, diabetes, cancer as a caregiver? Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. do you not compromise your relationship where care of aging parents can account for... What are the tips that you would give just because we're getting close to the end of our time? What are the tips you would give people? Sure. And many people say, oh yeah, well carve out time for yourself each day. And it is true. I manifested almost gallbladder disease before Mm -hmm. I realized that. Gallbladder is associated with anger as an underlying emotion. So when Mm -hmm. I figured out that I needed to make daily time for me, if it was only 10 minutes to read a magazine, take a bath, soak, go for a walk around the block, listen to an inspiring piece of music, I'm trying to find simple, fast things that people can do to maintain their own Right, now one thing I found I would add to your list 
is I discovered that there were things I could do with my mother that were relaxing for her and for me. And one of the key things is what you just said, which was taking a walk. I would have the caregivers at her home put her in a wheelchair and I would wheel her around because she was living in an area that had a beautiful park. So just being able to get out with her, now she enjoyed it, I enjoyed it, and that the walk could be longer for both of us because I was taking it with her. The music, I would turn on music. Now I'm lucky, I have a big family, and we actually divided up who had which days. So she had a lot of coverage, but I want to encourage people to also think about what are the activities that are soothing and relaxing for you that you can do while on duty because it makes duty a little more peaceful for both of you. Now, let's talk about how it impacts your relationship life. You know, you were married. You know, many people are in relationships, and they have this added stressor to not just their health, but to their own personal romantic relationship of taking care of an elder. How do you balance that? And then we come to, indeed, the care of an aging parent being a factor in at least 25% of divorces or separations. And I remember Mm. our former neighbor who had variously her father and then her mother living with them under the same roof. Derek and I did not have that. However, that's back to then carving out time for you as a couple, isn't it? Even though I would increasingly... Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, just because we're so close Mm -hmm. to being out of time, I'm going to ask you, how do you make the decision? Many people think, gee, it won't be that hard. We'll just have mom and dad move in with us. We'll have mom live with us. How do you make that decision and really do it with eyes wide open? What will this mean in terms of energy? What will it mean in terms of our relationship? What will it mean in terms of just time? And that's such an individualized decision, like the letter that you cited up front, Dr. Brenda, where you encouraged the grandparent to just back off a little bit. So, too, I invite the adult children to consider carefully the pros and cons. Now, my dad would have never accepted that option anyway. He would have never accepted to live with us. But if you are going to sign up for that, then best you know, what you're really getting in for because your home now becomes 24-7, the place which they live. It's a care facility rather than just being your home. Yeah, one of the things I want to say is having worked with in our trainings and, and even in my private practice and coaching, I've worked with so many families who've come into our training center who were dealing with the stress of caring for a mom or dad or both, where the couple was fighting about the Mm -hmm. best way to do it or fighting with one another because they were stressed out. And the one thing I say consistently is make sure you have additional help. Now, you need to get on your computer and you need to go to the pages with elder care help. Some of it is even free. I recently interviewed someone uh, at a conference who had an organization based in, uh, let's see, what kind? it was a nonprofit, and 
it was just an independent nonprofit, and they provided drivers for elders. Even if the elder couldn't go out and do the errand, that person would drive over, go out, or they would take the elder out. So you need to look for care. A lot of people say, gee, we don't have money. There are a lot of volunteer organizations. Mm-hmm. Please, please line up people from your temple, your church, your mosque. Line up family, friends, neighbors. Line up volunteers. Line up these elder care groups so you have a community of support around you. And I found that that is one of the things that really, really helps. And I always have those people make sure that they join. I have a mastermind program where you're on the phone with me one hour each week and one full day a month of training. And for a lot of the families I work with, it's a lifeline to Mm -hmm. have that support weekly, even just on the phone. I can just imagine. Fabulous point, Dr. Brenda. And I would add, just like our decision as a couple to not have children, that was a mutual decision. This is also where even underneath the practical actions you just cited, which are fabulous, there is also can you at all come to the same page on whether this is really something that you are prepared to do because it will create the rift if one desires it and the other does not. Right, right. That is, that's crucial. Now, the one other thing I will say is for people who are approaching Elder care, whether you're single or whether you're in a couple, you still need to take care of your love life. You need to make sure that you literally are making date night a priority. You go out, you have fun, you're romantic, you don't talk about issues, problems, kids or parents. You just talk about what you love about each other. You tell each other jokes and funny stories. You do things that night that are truly entertaining and romantic. I remember one couple coming in saying they didn't like date night. I said, well, what is it you're doing on date night? You're not going to believe it. They would go shopping for the kids' school clothes or what the kids needed and talk about the problems the kids were having. I said, then it's not a date. It's a PTA meeting, and you need a date. So make sure your date night is protected And if you're single, you make it a night to go out and mingle and meet other singles and have fun because the relationship part of our life is the part that protects us against the wear and tear of this kind of caregiving, and it's crucial. It is, and that what you said about making it a priority. So if we wanted to talk calendar scheduling, that would be now, what goes Carol, we in the calendar literally first. literally one more minute. We have one more minute. What do you want to leave us with as the critical piece of advice you know everyone needs? That you can get through this journey of life. Tremendous healing of family dynamics is possible, but it starts with your commitment to your self-care first so that you don't become a death statistic and instead you see through this chapter with your health, relationship, career, and other aspects of life intact. Beautiful. Carol, thank you so much. Everyone, our guest today has written a book. Carol, say the name of the book, please. Coping with Uncopable Parents, Loving Action for Elder Care. 
say that. And the website the is carolannhamilton.com. Great. And the subtitle of the book is? Loving Action for Elder Care. Beautiful. I love that, loving action. And that means loving yourself through it as well. And be sure you mark your calendar if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area or get yourself here to the San Francisco area this Saturday for what Mama couldn't tell you about love and sex, seven secrets to have the most passionate love of your life right now because, you know, sex is a great stress reducer. All right, thanks so much, Carol Ann, and thank you to LeGrand Green, our very talented executive producer. And for- <laughs>